Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. I'm Heather Noble. And I'm Tracy Jones. And on the business community this afternoon, we're going to be looking at bad publicity. Is there such a thing? Uh, and this was prompted by um, a play that's uh, at, on at Theatre Cluid at the moment, which is called The Assassination of Katie Hopkins. And lover or hater, regardless of what you think about her, it does sometimes seem that bad publicity just doesn't stick to her. So we thought we'd spend a little bit of time reflecting on this. Uh, and what I've come to to the conclusion is that actually sometimes things happen that you don't necessarily cause or bring about yourself it's not about making some um outrageous statement about something and then dealing with the flack sometimes you can be a victim of circumstance and from my point of view it's more about how you deal with that bad publicity than uh than the bad publicity itself what do you what what do you think tracy i, I agree i think sometimes um, that bad publicity um, can be a good thing and sometimes it's a dreadful thing and, and it varies from organisation to organisation and I think it also varies with the times as well so what is perhaps classed as scandalous uh, at one period of time is completely acceptable but I'm going to take you way back <laughs> I'm going to take you back to the Belle Epoque which was the turn of the last century the beginning of the last century and the phrase success de scandale, Ooh. I apologise for my French if it's not correct, um, but it's essentially French for success from scandal, was a phrase that was used during this period by artists who wanted to raise awareness of, of their works, whether it was um, actual um, physical artwork or music or, or writing. And so they, they courted public controversy and and I think this is where the phrase um, there's no such thing as bad publicity came from I think it's been on its journey through Max Clifford and the like along the way mm. but I, that was what caught me first and then it was, I actually looked up the definition of bad publicity as well and that was defined as negative images and news about an individual or company making the headlines repeatedly. So I thought that was interesting. Is it repeatedly? I wasn't sure if it needed to be repeated or maybe just high profile. Um, but it could also possibly refer to controversial news. And then I asked my daughter. And my daughter, she's 12, Rianne, um, and she she took it a different way. She, so she hasn't been... Um, Influenced, <laughs> yes, by Max Clifford and all of the other PR stuff that went on. And her interpretation of bad publicity was publicity that wasn't done very well. Okay, yes. Yeah, so, so she was arguing, well, of course there's such a thing as bad publicity. You know, if it doesn't work, then it, it wasn't good publicity. So I, I appreciated the different views on it. But uh, yeah, Katie Hopkins... Interested. I'm not sure about the play. I, I, I've listened to the the writers talk about it, and I can really see where it's coming from. But um, yeah, Katie Hopkins, nothing sticks. But she she makes her money from being controversial, so she would say that bad publicity is just publicity for her. Well, yeah, because from her point of view, that's just what she does. Yeah, she she causes a, a stir, uh, but but sometimes things happen events occur and you are in the, you're caught in the crossfire uh i was looking back at you know how people have turned things around and some of the um the big 
bad publicity um, events of recent times. For example, Adidas, who you'd think would be all over everything. Uh, they perhaps, well, definitely unwisely decided that uh, runners of the Boston Marathon in 2017 um, would be would receive an email from them saying, congratulations, you survived the Boston Marathon, which in itself doesn't sound too contentious or uh, outrageous now because <laughs> but yes, yes but then it's it's four years after the bombing at the boston marathon so not so good yeah. you know that they shot themselves in the foot literally there you know that's not not great then you have uh things like the queen at the time when princess diana uh, died in the car crash uh okay that wasn't something that was brought about by the queen uh, but she was caught in the crossfire and where the problem existed there uh, in terms of bad publicity uh, around the queen herself is that she arguably thought that it would just go away and that there wasn't a need for her to comment so it was a little bit head in the sand type of thing where in actual fact it it had legs and because of the groundswell of emotion that was that was existing in very strange times back in in 1997 the queen not responding was the bad publicity thing and it took a very long time to turn that around uh in fact you know the queen had to totally change the way that she promoted herself and the royal family uh, a couple of examples of where bad publicity was actually used um, by companies and individuals in from their point of view a positive way um so one is is where clothing companies have actually said we we don't um we don't cater for fat and old people <laughs> and uh, clearly that comes across as quite bad but actually if you look at their target group who are slim young people when they hear that they're not included in the same category as the fat and old people mm. it perhaps boosts their um their um opinion of the brand so Abercrombie and Fitch is one that I looked up and they actually built their brand image on hot athletic and sexy okay yeah. and then Justin Bieber quite a controversial figure but apparently he he was um suffering a little bit from being a bit young and a bit of a um, you know clean cut and so some of the controversy that he's found himself em embroiled in such as um, drink driving and, and various getting into brawls and things like that has been used to just subtly or maybe unsubtly change his brand image but then it goes wrong sometimes it goes dreadfully wrong doesn't it and uh, Paul Green on Twitter reminded us of uh, Gerald Ratner now if, if you're um I think if you're younger than about 40... <laughs> you're old and fat and yeah. not shopping at Abercrombie and Fitch. <laughs> you, you won't uh, remember, remember Gerald Ratner, but he, he said something dreadful in a speech that essentially um, rubbished his... He, he basically said that everything that Ratner's, which was at the time a high street, well-known, um, actually successful jewellery business, he basically said that it was all rubbish that they were selling. They were selling a load of tat. And Ratner's never recovered from no. that. No. So that's where, when, when publicity goes wrong. And um, Tiger, we Tiger Woods, um, he had loads of um, sponsorship deals. And when the news of his affairs had come out in public, he lost all of the sponsorship deals. So... Um, it, it, I think it varies, and I'm not even sure sometimes whether you, you can anticipate how you need to handle with it 
without hindsight. I th- I th- Hindsight's a wonderful thing. Isn't it, Just? And I, I think that the, the, the nub of it here is there's publicity and there's PR. Now, if you do proactive PR, so you put a message out there like, we don't, we don't sell clothes to old fat people, you have more control over that. Yeah. Um, then you have reactive PR. So that's when you are firefighting and that is when something has occurred out with your control and you have to try and mitigate and, and do a bit of damage limitation. And I think that, you know, the Tiger, Tiger Woods thing, he didn't, he didn't wake up one day and say, I know I'm going to tell everybody. This is going to help my career. Yes. I'm so, going to tell everybody yeah, this So news. that was, that's publicity. Uh, so I think PR and publicity are, are kind of two different things. Uh, but for me, it's if you find yourself the subject of bu- bad publicity, it's how you turn that around and make a positive. So um, just a couple of comments from social media. And uh, Rosalie Marsh commented that um, she said that bad publicity is like a bad review, something you don't want, but it could lead to people looking behind the review to decide for themselves. Hence, the bad publicity has actually had a positive effect, bringing the product to the notice of a possibly wider audience. And so in this day and age of reliance on technology, online reviews are a deciding factor in the choice of product. Mm. And I thought she hit the nail on the head there because before I buy anything now, even if I'm buying it in the shop, I will often go online to see if anybody's reviewed it. Mm. It took me hours to choose a new washer dryer because I had to read all the different reviews of, of people's experiences with it. But I'm suspicious if all the reviews are positive. I just need the little bit of balance and just because something has got a few bad reviews doesn't mean say I won't buy it because I will then read into that you know where were they coming from what was their experience how was it handled trip advisors a really big one for this I think um, there's a lot of um, hospitality business owners that really suffer with TripAdvisor because of the keyboard warriors and, the, and their comments on there. And I'm, I'm not sure how to comment on that one because I, I'm not in hospitality and I can really see how that can be a problem. But I do look on TripAdvisor and, and you know, I, if somebody does give a bad review, it's not just about the review, it's how they handle so um, the, the owner of the business can come back and then deal with that. So if you're finding that you're having to deal with some bad publicity, what do you do? I went to a website called Marketing Donut and they had a little list rather helpfully. So the first thing is take action, take quick action to counter bad news. And remember that you won't be the first person who's having to deal with this sort of thing. The next bit of advice is to keep people informed. Staying silent encourages gossip and speculation. So be proactive in keeping people up to date. By all means, counter any inaccuracies and be prepared to say you are sorry. I think for me, that's a really important thing is, you know, if you if you were wrong, say sorry, move on. Um, The no comment response implies that you're hiding something. And if you need to designate a spokesperson, if if you're not the person to handle this, get somebody else to do it. If it's appropriate, offer a written statement. And finally, it says when the dust has settled, review what has happened and consider ways you could have acted differently, which would, would have led to a better outcome. So what events have we got for you this week? Well, I've focused 
on the theme of PR and reputation management. And I've got a couple of uh, biggies that are happening in June uh, in London. Uh, there's a, um, a two-day course uh, taking place in Hatton Garden, very nice part of London, Handling Media Interviews and Crisis Communication. It's being run by the CIPR, Chartered Institute of Public Relations. It's £600 for members, £900 for non-members, but it looks like a really good workshop. Uh, yeah, because I think it's it's as much about the way that you communicate as we've already talked about. And if people are interviewing you, uh, how you deal with that. So you don't want to make things worse. So I thought that looked like a really good one. Uh, then choosing and using a PR agency. Again, taking place in London. Uh, this is organised by the Public Relations and Communications Association. Uh, £370 for non-members, £305 for members. Uh, this is um, in London. And it's about formal training in the idea of managing public relation programmes. So I thought that looked like a good one. And then finally, up in Manchester on the 23rd of May, uh, Google Analytics for PR. Uh, again, this is a CIPR uh, workshop. Uh, it's a half-day workshop, and it looks at how you can use the data that you get from Google, Google Analytics analytics, easy for some people to say, uh, and then use that for promoting your business. What have you got for reviews, Tracy? Mine's nothing to do with P PR specifically. So the first one is Mum's Enterprise Roadshow in Manchester. It's on the 20th of June between 10am and 6pm at Event City. Now in its third year, the Mums Enterprise Roadshow is a free-to-attend, child-friendly, flexible work and business show for those of you wanting to get into the right frame of mind to make a change and be kick-started into action, as well as helping those who wish to retrain, find flexible work, start or grow a business. There are over 90 exhibitors and they're split into five zones. The first one is boost for those of you making the first steps to getting back into the swing of work or business. The next zone is business, helping you to start or grow your business. Flexible work is the third zone, employers and agencies recruiting for flexible roles. Opportunity is the zone for people wanting to work from home and looking for home working business opportunities. And the fifth zone is retraining and upskilling, looking at qualifications and courses. Cool, that looks, sounds really interesting. It sounds like a really interesting show. So that's the 20th of June, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And we will put the link for that, uh, which is on Eventbrite. We'll put that on our website, thebusiness.community. And then I went for something completely different. I stumbled across a website that I used to use years ago and haven't used for ages. And I just thought I'd give it another mention now. It's called whatdotheyknow.com. It's a free website that gives members of the public the ability to submit a freedom of information request to public bodies. You can do this without using your own email address. And the reason why that's important will become relevant now. So one of the ones I found on there, just doing a, a Google search last night, uh, sorry, not a Google search, a search on whatdotheyknow.com, I found a gentleman that had submitted one question, the same set of questions, sorry, 27 
questions to every council in the United Kingdom. And clearly this gentleman works for an IT company looking to sell their services to local government. So you can see why it would be a good idea for him to not let the councils who have to reply to these 27 questions within 20 days, why it's a good idea not to let them know what company he works for. So he writes, dear council, he does put the details of the council in there, under the Freedom of Information Act 2000, I write to obtain the following information about the organisation's information technology infrastructure equipment. And he goes through all sorts of questions. What is your annual IT budget for 2017, 2018, 2019? He asks questions about storage, about warranties, uh, operating systems, network and security, end user devices, backup systems, recovery solutions, servers. The list goes on. 27 detailed questions. And the great thing is that the councils that he's asked have to reply in 20 days unless there's a really good reason for not giving that information and I can assure you having worked in this field responding to freedom of information requests there aren't many good reasons why you cannot respond so what he will have is all of this information about the councils within the next 20 days and he can then prepare tenders for the council. So if you have got services that could be sold into any public body, including colleges and universities and schools, say, for example, you're a photographer and you're wondering if there's any openings for your services in the schools, maybe you could write to the schools and say, do you have a contract with a photographer and can you tell me the value of the contract and when it finishes? Perfect. So if you want to explore that, the website is called whatdotheyknow.com. Now, this week we've chosen a book called To Sell is Human by Daniel Pink. It's a book that I read a long time ago and I've had to refresh myself. I think it was published in 2012 and uh, it's probably that long ago since I read it. And uh, I've got it on Kindle as well. So um, I, I very quickly reread it and went through and found all the notes that I made previously. Now, on that subject, is there an app out there? I'm putting a call out to the listeners. And if there isn't an app out there that does this, will somebody develop it? So what I like to do <laughs> in my Kindle app is I'll, I'll highlight things in a book that I like. And, you know, you know how you do that just to remind you as you go through. And I'd really love it if there's an app or an extension of the Kindle app, which then just lifts out the things that you've highlighted and puts those in a little summary for you. I really like that. So if anybody knows of an app that's out there that does it or, you know, an extension of the Kindle app or maybe the Kindle app does it already and I just don't know, that would greatly enhance the quality of my life and maybe also the quality of this section of the show. Not making any promises, mind, but that's just my my good feeling on this <laughs> that's what i love about you tracy if something doesn't exist you just want somebody to create it make for you. it for me yes make so, it so so on this book what, I've, what i'm going to do is take you right to the very end oh okay right to the end just before the acknowledgements page and this is my takeaway from this book uh, what, what i found over the years when i've been working with people whose um sense of what selling is has been more that selling is distasteful so I bought this book when I was working with these groups of people just to show them that actually selling isn't 
what you might think it is. But one of the ways that I really sold it to them, the idea of selling, was just this little paragraph right at the end of the book. So you just have to ask yourself two questions to see if you're offering genuine service. One, if the person you're selling to agrees to buy, will his or her life improve? Two, when your interaction is over, will the world be a better place than when you began? And if the answer to either of these questions is no, you're doing something wrong. Now, I was working with a group of therapists in business who would typically find it quite difficult to sell their services. And every one of them could answer yes to both of those. They genuinely felt that the person life was going to improve by buying these services and the world would be a better place once they'd done it. So they've answered yes to do two of those things. So it validated their need to sell their services. That's what I took from this book, that little paragraph right at the end. And until I get the app that collates all of my other notes together, I'm going to hand over to you, Heather. Oh, nicely <laughs> done. Nicely done. Uh, one of the challenges of, of, of doing this show is that you we seem to introduce each other to books. Um, so it'll either be a book that I've read before uh, and Tracy hasn't uh, or vice versa. So either way, my library is expanding at a rate of knots. I do apologise. I would have lent you my version of the book, only it's on my No, 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 it's fine. Because, <laughs> because this is a great book. And what I love about it is it resonates so well with me and um, what I do for a living, which, which is all about communication. And I very often tell a story um, from when I was five years of age and we lived in Hereford. And my father used to say that he always knew where I was based on which shop my bike was outside. Because I used to, before I started school, you wouldn't be able to do it these days, ride up and down and go into these independently owned shops and talk to the owners. And they would give me money uh, to go, and I would go to the shop and buy sweets or go and buy an ice cream or whatever. So from the earliest age, I was selling myself. I mean, they're probably trying to get rid of me, but I was <laughs> selling myself. I was influencing. I was persuading. And that's what we're doing all the time. And, and Pink talks a lot about the different ways in which we're doing that uh, and, and how we can um, make it, be, be aware of it uh, happening to us, but also be aware of it when we need to influence and sell to others and he talking about questions that you need to ask yourself he has um he has a number of questions do you earn your living trying to convince others to purchase goods or services if you answered yes you're in sales but you probably knew that already two do you work for yourself or run your own operation even on the side if yes you're in sales. Probably a mix of traditional sales and non-sales selling. Three, does your work require elastic skills, the ability to cross boundaries and functions, to work outside your specialty, I hate that word, and to do a variety of different things throughout the day? If yes, you're almost certainly in sales, mostly non-sales selling, with perhaps a mix of traditional sales now and then. If no, Go to question four. Question four. Do you work in education or healthcare? If yes, you're in sales. The brave new world of non-sales selling. If no, and you answered no to the first three questions, you're not in sales. So whatever we do, there will be elements of selling, uh, 
Uh, it may be, you know, do you want to buy a pen? That's that's traditional selling. But non-sales selling is that persuading and influencing. And I think that if we can just remember that sometimes, the way that we interact with people will become more um, rewarding. He has a word cloud that he's created from asking people what do they think of? What's the first word that comes to mind when they think of sales? And it's not surprising that the, the largest word is pushy. It has things like difficult, annoying, manipulative, uh, yuck, sleazy, aggressive, tough. Words that are all negative associated with selling. And it, selling is kind of a dirty word, but that is only if it's done badly, poorly. Nobody wants a pushy salesperson. Nobody wants to be a pushy salesperson. Uh, so we just need to be mindful that if we are trying to influence and persuade, we need to just rein it in, pull it back a bit, and be genuine, be, be mindful of helping people, making a difference to people's lives. Uh, I just think it's a really interesting book. There's lots of thought-provoking stuff, um, lots of examples of... Uh, research that he's done and methodology things that have been tried and tested uh, so if you are in the world of sales or if you just want to be better influencing and persuading then um, and, and also about the way that you you sell ideas to yourself to be honest that you know it sounds relevant for that as well and I, I picked up on one section uh, which is more commonly known with sales, and and that's the pitch. And he gives six alternatives to the elevator pitch. Everybody knows the elevator pitch. It's the thing that we all learn before we go into the um, into the networking meeting. You've got your elevator pitch. Off you go. However, these six alternatives I thought were really quite interesting. The first one being the one word pitch, mm. and. An example he's given in the book is the credit card company whose um, pitch is priceless. Brilliant. And um, apparently Barack Obama in his re-election campaign in 2012, his whole strategy was built around the one word forward. Uh, interestingly, that Saatchi and Saatchi, um, the um, advertising agency, are great um, proponents of the one-word pitch, and they say that two words is not God, it is two gods, and two gods are one too many. <laughs> I like that. The question pitch. Uh, in the book, he refers to... I think these examples are a little old and maybe need, need updating because he talks about Ronald Reagan running for president in 1980. Okay. I'm sure there are more relevant ones, given that the book was published in 2012. But it's... Um, the one he's talking about is Ronald, Re Ronald Reagan asking, are you better off now than you were four years ago? And things along those lines that make people question where they are and could it be better and offering the alternative to where they are. The third alternative is the rhyming pitch. So something along the lines of um, woes unite foes. Life is mostly strife. All of those sorts of ideas. And the research that's been done says that people prefer the phrases in rhymes. So... Um, apparently Haribo are, are very good at this and they, they have their um, pitches 
rhyming in English, French and Spanish. So they've obviously had them translated properly. The subject line pitch, this is a classic. How do you get somebody to open your email? And he goes through and gives some examples there. That is a science all in itself, how you get somebody to open their email. The Twitter pitch is number five. And if you can write your pitch in the form of 140 or fewer characters, that would fit into the Twitter pitch. And the sixth pitch is the Pixar pitch. I love this one. This is probably my favourite one and one that I would aspire to. And essentially every Pixar film, research has been done, um, which shows that every Pixar film shares the same narrative DNA, a deep structure of storytelling that involves six sequential sentences. Once upon a time, every day, one day, because of that, because of that, until finally... I love that. The, the t I, I like the idea of storytelling. So I think if you can tell a story as part of your pitch, that's great. And the example he, he gives is, is really quite neat. Um, so he gives a pitch for this book to sell his, his human. Once upon a time, only some people were in sales. Every day they sold stuff. We did stuff and everyone was happy. One day everything changed. All of us ended up in sales and sales changed from a world of caveat emptor to caveat venditor. Because of that, we had to learn the new ABCs, attunement, buoyancy and clarity. Because of that, we had to learn some new skills to pitch, to improvise and to serve. Until finally, we realised that selling isn't some grim accommodation to a brutal marketplace culture. It's part of who we are and therefore something we can do better by being more human. Isn't that amazing? We, we don't really need to say anything else about the book after that. That's, that's a brilliant pitch and that personally would be the one that I aspire to. Our guru for this week is younger than our average guru, was born in the UK, which in itself is quite a revelation because we seem to have a lot of America, although he does now live in America. His name is Simon Sinek or Sinek, uh, a name that you probably will have heard before, uh, particularly around the, um, the, the power of why, what's your why. Uh, he wrote, he's, he's written a number of books and one is Find Your Why, a practical guide for discover, discovering purpose for you and your team. And he's a prolific TED talker. So Tracy spent a lot of time watching TED talks. <laughs> uh, but he's, he's, he is a motivational speaker and he seems to have a very charismatic way about him. If you watch his TED Talks, he draws you in to the subject that he's talking about and he does it very cleverly. I don't really know how he's doing it, but he is doing it uh, because he's not polished, he's not slick, but he, he there's something about him. He, he's he's an energy that you are drawn to. Uh, what you, You've watched loads of TED Talks, Tracy. Yeah, what do you think about I'd him? I'd seen this video before, but uh, Zoe Clark um, reminded me. So we, we posted on Facebook asking people for their thoughts on Simon. 
And Zoe reminded me of this TED Talk. Now, it's one of the first ones that he did, and it's had 37 million views. Goodness me. So that that's amazing. But it was done in 2009, I believe. And yes, it's not polished. And I also watched it, having done the research beforehand. So having read the criticisms of it, people saying that he says it's founded in uh, based on science and it's not. So I, I went into it quite open-minded and I was drawn in. I was engaged by him. And as you say, he's not at all polished. He stumbles over his words a few times. I know how he feels today. I really do. Mm-hmm. And, and he doesn't come across as slick in his presentation style. But he has got that skill. He's using some NLP techniques. He's using some really good ways of repeating what he's saying. Mm -hmm. But I found it engaging and entertaining. And um, the things that I pulled from that, um, there's two takeaways from that um, video. It's the golden circle, so what, how and why. And you can find a lot of stuff online, so we we don't have to go into detail with this. But essentially, he, he says that a lot of people start off by selling what they're doing by saying what they do, how they do it, and then eventually coming to why they do it. And his suggestion is that people need to understand why you do it. And then you tell them how you do it and then you tell them what they're having. And and Apple do this beautifully. He gives, gives a really good example of that. He, he sold Apple to me there and then just by doing that. It's very, very good. And the second thing I took away from the video was that the goal is not to do business with everybody who needs what you have. The goal is to do business with people who believe what you believe. So highly recommended that TED Talk, whether you buy the books or not, you catch at least a couple of the TED Talks. Now, did you know, Heather, that Simon is a trained ethnographer? Uh, not only did I not know, I don't know what an ethnographer is. Of course I knew, yeah, no, only because I googled it. Ah. So ethnography is the systematic study of people and cultures. And that makes sense. He's a self proclaimed um fascinated I, where, I don't know where my words are going today Simon I totally get your video from Ted where you stumbled over the, your words sadly I'm probably not as engaging as he was in that video he is fascinated he says so himself that's a better way to say it by people and organizations that make the greatest lasting impact on the world so he, he studies people and cultures essentially and um, he's, he writes about them as well and, and presumably uh, makes a career out of that as well now, did you watch the video again, Heather? Uh, yeah, I I did. Uh, and that I also got a transcript of it because um, I quite like to scribble on things and, and it's great to watch it. But actually, sometimes I get carried away with the delivery. Yeah, and, so you, and you're watching the, how he's delivering yes, rather yes. than what he's delivering. Yeah, so, so I find it useful to, yeah. to read back through it. Um, and so... You know that's that's a great thing in itself. But the one bit that I, I that resonated with me for some reason is in the summer of 1960. Just thinking about where we are now in 2018 and how the world is in the summer of 1963, 250,000 people showed up to hear Martin Luther speak. There were no invitations. There was no website to check the date. He wasn't the only great orator. He wasn't the only person to have these ideas. And some of his ideas were even bad. But what he did was to go around and simply talk about what he believed. I believe. And people who believed what he believed took his cause and told more people. 
And to that point, 250,000 people showed up on the right day to hear him speak. And then he poses the question, how many people showed up for him? None. They showed up for themselves. It's what they believed about America that got them to drive eight hours on a bus to stand in the sun in Washington, D.C. in the middle of August. It's what they believed. It wasn't black versus white. 25% of the audience were white. He believed there were two kinds of laws in this world. Those that are made by a higher power and those that are made by man. And I just, to me, it, it just demonstrates that if you've got something and, and people are on your wavelength and believe in you, they will move mountains to come and see you speak. Just after that section, doesn't he point out that Martin Luther King says, I have a dream, not I have a plan. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> Very yeah. good point. Yeah. There's another um, video that I watched. So, so that one is actually called How Great Leaders Inspire Action. Yeah. And it's the third most popular TED Talk there is. That's amazing. A lot of his other TED Talks, um, less popular, but but equally so, we, you would be very jealous of that number of watchers on mm, and most other mm. um, platforms. One that I picked up on was the Be the Last to Speak speech that he did, where he talks about the importance of first listening to the opinion of others before making your own and arguing that the best leaders are the ones who master the skill of being the last to speak. And... Connected to that is an article I read recently, which suggested that you shouldn't end your talks with a Q&A session, because if it's your talk, this, it needs to finish with you and what you believe. I think this links in quite nicely. Martin Luther King didn't do his I believe speech and then say, right, any questions? Steve Jobs wouldn't end one of his inspirational speeches and go, right. Q&A session now just doesn't work you, you end leaving people on a high truly buying into what you believe so I think that that is a, a really good suggestion so if you do presentations on a regular basis just consider yourself actually you need to be the last person to speak not not the people who are asking you questions I, th I think I think that's really really interesting it's certainly something that um that I will take I will take from this. Can I just throw in a slight curved ball? Um, I, it's difficult to find out much about Simon Sinek, the man. Uh, so I thought I'd have a look at his Twitter feed and just see um, what he does on Twitter. Uh, and I was, I was surprised to find that he only follows 57 people. Mm. And yet he has almost half a million followers. And so I thought, oh, I'll have a look and see who he follows. And, and, and in fairness, the people he follows are the type of people you would expect him to follow, like Brené Brown, Adam Braun, um, even Daniel Pink, uh, Malala and her father. But I was also thrilled to see that, apart, as well as Monica Lewinsky, he follows Stephen Fry. Does the whole world follow Stephen Fry? I think they do, yes. But that's interesting, isn't it? Because having said that you need to to listen to others, then I'm, I'm not so sure that only following 57 people and none of those being just average Joe, Joe public. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that is, maybe maybe he doesn't do Twitter a great deal. I don't know. Maybe it's not his, his main platform for connecting with people. But if it was, I would say that that's a, a clear error on his part mm. because you, you can get a lot from Twitter by interacting with the people who are following you. Mm. 
Interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, I thought it was. Well, we're rapidly running out of time for the show, so I think we're at that point where we, we come up with our quotes. I'll start and you can finish the show with yours, if that's okay, Heather. Okay. Mine is short and sweet. So my quote from Simon is, there is a difference between giving directions and giving direction. So true. Uh, and the one that I've taken is, great companies don't hire skilled people and motivate them. They hire already motivated people and inspire them. People are either motivated or they're not. Unless you give motivated people something to believe in, something bigger than their job to work toward, they will motivate themselves to find a new job and you'll be stuck with whoever's left. So that's it for another week. I hope you all enjoyed listening and that you will join us again next week for the business community on Callan FM. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.